Welcome to twoquestions.tv. My guest today is Mark Stevenson, and we're talking about doing things differently. Twoquestions.tv. Brief questions, deep knowledge for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business owners. Welcome to twoquestions.tv. I'm Susan Barancini Mel. Joining me today is reluctant futurologist Mark Stevenson. He's one of the world's most respected thinkers on technology, society, and innovation. He is also the author of this book, We Do Things Differently, The Outsiders Rebooting Our World. And it's a wonderful book of stories about people who are reinventing complete industries and thinking about things in a whole new way. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I am excited to have you here. Fascinating book. Actually, the, the book had me from the beginning because a friend of mine has ALS and we just, all of us have this ongoing campaign to encourage people to donate to ALS TDI. And I never knew the story behind it. So that was yeah. super interesting. Yeah, so that's an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I don't know that I necessarily felt super encouraged, but, <laughs> but I'm glad the work is being done at least and that people know where we are in that. So it's, the, the book is really about how to look at systems from the outside and see what's missing or what's wrong or what's not working right and do things differently. And I wonder, how do you think leaders who are on the inside can encourage their, their teams to do that? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Assuming they're willing. <laughs> Welcome to my life's work. Um, so the problem that, I mean, one of the things that came out of the book was that if you want to change a system, this isn't always the case, but if you want to change a system and be successful, um, you have to have several things in place. It didn't happen for all the stories, but some of them were, you know, it was usually ground up, bottom up. It came from the people on the shop floor or the ground floor or out in the community rather than from top down. Usually catalyzed by a new technology or a new way of thinking or a new philosophy that they hadn't had access to before, which gave them the power to do something new. Um, usually in the service of a, of a different social contract than the one they've been laboring under. So it's not about shareholder value. It's about can we make the world a better place generally. Right. And finally, which is the most difficult point to, to your question, usually catalyzed by somebody from outside the system. Because mm -hmm. as Jamie Haywood, the guy who set up ALS TDI, um, said, um, you know, I could see the assumptions people were making because I was outside them, where they had become completely accultured to them. So they can't yes. see see and uh, and also there's a great quote i use in a lot of my you know, consultancy work well i call it insultancy work i'm very rude to most of my clients um is from upton sinclair the american novelist and he said this great thing in one of his uh, essays it's difficult to get somebody to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding <laughs> yes so you've got a job working for the existing system doing things a particular way and if, particularly if you're in charge of that then you're the top dog and coming along and going, well, you're doing that all wrong. You need to change it differently. And by the way, maybe your job doesn't exist if we do this better. Or you have to have a different set of skills. That never plays very well. Yeah. And, and often the status quo, of course, is very well funded. So, so, how do, so what I do with my clients is first you have to get them to understand that things have got to change. And mm -hmm. um, they don't always appreciate because they've got their head down. Um, but, <laughs> But what I do is I do two things. Is one, I set fire to the platform they're standing on by going, well, look, here comes whatever it is. Um, whether it's technological disruption or whether it's uh, you know, a gender equality issue or whether it's climate change or investment problem or you know, 
an employee engagement problem or whatever that is. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know where, what you're thinking, but have you not noticed that this thing is on fire? <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they go, oh God. And then you go, yeah, but it's okay. Cause it's all fixable. There's, there's this, you know, there's this thing over here that you, you can do. And then you show them examples of people doing that, but yes. you're not going to get over there by thinking the way you are. So now you have to think differently. So once you've got that emotional buy-in and I have an artistic practice, I keep up with stand up and theater and, and music because I'm always about how do you move the heart? Mm -hmm. Once you've got someone to emotionally buy in, then they're in a position to start thinking about how they change themselves and their culture to, to address the challenge. But what most people do is they can't try and convince the head first. It's never going to work. Yeah. And no effect. Um, the, the head does the PR of what the heart has already decided. Mm -hmm. um, you need all the facts and the cognitive stuff and the skepticism afterwards, but unless you get somebody to move their, their heart, they will hardly move their feet at all. So first and foremost, you've got to get people to feel it, really feel it viscerally. That is, that is the school, that's the, the skills of artists for me. That's why, you know, mm -hmm. you know it's why I write theater. It's why I do stand up. It's, it's, it's getting to feel stuff. And then, uh, and then, then once they've felt it, then they want to change. And if they want to change, then they have to change their culture because all systems change is about culture. It's not really right. about technology, you know, um, people are talking about artificial intelligence at the moment, but as Bill Gates said, you know, you can automate a bad process and it'll just magnify the inefficiency of that process. So it's not artificial intelligence, artificial stupidity. Um, and uh, stupidity operates uh, geogre ge geometric progression rather than arithmetic. So, you know, three times, three computers can be nine times as stupid as one computer. Uh, three consultants can be nine times as stupid as... as <laughs> Uh, and, then, and then eventually, you, you, you know, you, you, you get to, uh, you know, Deloitte. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a lot of consultants there. <laughs> the magnitude, the magnitude. You can get from, I mean, we have seen this from the big consulting organizations. Yeah. You look at all their predictions, for instance, on mobile phone penetration, you know, they start mm. entirely wrong because they're in a particularly fixed mindset. Um, so, so then you, so what is the culture of, of, innovation and my definition of is um, innovation is the culture of asking the right question mm -hmm. and when you've got people to ask the right question then they, they have the tools and the talents to, to find the answer themselves but if they're answering the wrong question then they'll go and answer that question and find themselves irrelevant um, you know my favorite example of the stupidest question that nobody asked that's been answered recently is something called the Kerastas hair coach it's a wi-fi enabled hairbrush with a humidity sensor in it and a microphone that analyzes your brushing style and takes into account the local weather and gives you a hair, a, hair a hair manageability score via your smartphone app, right? Now, now nobody wants this product, right? This is a zip, has no utility at all. I don't know how much it costs, but anyway, but really the world doesn't need it. You know, we have climate change, we have democracy in retreat, we know we do not need a Wi Fi over uh, But yeah, millions of people's, you know, millions of dollars and probably lots of people's careers went into thinking about it. And this is one of the reasons we have such low levels of employee engagement, like 87% of people don't like their jobs. And it's yeah. because they they're working for a system that's not dealing with the world's grand challenges. Most of the money is going to somebody else and it's getting more expensive uh, you know, for them to have healthcare or educate their kids or whatever. Mm. So, so we all know this has all got, got to shift. So you know, once you're asking the right question, there are all sorts of tools to help you answer that question. And another thing I, I, I believe is that people divided by politics very soon brought together around projects. And once they're asking the right question, they've got something to build things can move really fast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I often think that we, uh, that entrepreneurs try to retrofit the way that they look at people who are very successful and they try to sort of reverse engineer. Mm -hmm. 
And so they look at a, a Bill Gates or a, or a Steve Jobs and they go, well, what did he do? He wore turtlenecks all the time. Okay, I'm going to do that. You know, and he thought about things this way. But, but at the same time, often these super successful world-changing people don't start out that way. They just start out by asking different questions. I recently read a biography of Leo Fender of Fender Guitars. And this was a guy who was an engineer and he genuinely was just at a party one night and trying to do his part to help these uh, war effort parties. And he just asked the question like, what am I going to do with these poor guitar guys? They want to play the music for these people. And my contribution is to light up the event and, you know, I can't go to war. So I'm going to do this This is my little contribution. And he started trying to figure out how to help them be heard. And that's how the guitar was started, like electric. So, so I think sometimes, you know, what starts as a very simple question grows into a lifelong mission. And that's not, you know, I, I think music makes the world go around. I think it's pretty important, but it's not, you know, global war, you know, climate change affecting, but still, I think we look at the wrong things so, so often. So do you have advice for entrepreneurs who are thinking about how can I be disruptive? How can I be different? How can I change things? I'm just one person, you know, what can I do? Well, the first thing it comes back to that emotion again, you know, there are people who say they want to be entrepreneurs and what they're really saying is they want to be rich. <laughs> yes. um, and that, that's dumb. That's dumb. You know, as yeah. you, I mean, I, I view entrepreneurship in the widest sense, which is, are you going to change something? Are you going to make something better? Yeah. So if your only vision is to slightly tweak the product and, you know, read all the company manuals and, you know, you know, make yourself a million dollars then literally get out of my face because you're dull and uh, <laughs> i have no time for you and you'll be unhappy you know yeah. you'll, you'll trade in your relationship with your family and your friends for for, for this stupid idea but the yeah. first thing um if you want to be an entrepreneur what are you going to be an entrepreneur for you've got to be asking yourself a question so jamie haywood you know how can i reduce uh, you know how can i improve the outcome for patients how can we use patient data to supplement the data that the physicians yeah. have so work together in a better way and he ends up reducing hospital patients creating something more powerful than any drug ever created and initially he was guided by the, the, the desire to, to to save his brother you know so he had a real calling same samir mm-hmm. brahmachari in the book you know he's a uh, scientist he's got four thousand people a day dying from drug resistant tuberculosis no new drugs for tuberculosis because apparently it's disease of the poor we don't make the drugs for diseases of the poor so he mm-hmm. comes up with a radically cheaper way of coming up with drugs you know so he's got this calling um, Carl Jarvis, the guy who walks into pretty much the worst school in the UK and goes, okay, I'm a teacher. These kids deserve an education. I don't care if they've had 14 head teachers in the last six years. I'm going to turn this school into the best school in the country. So he, you know, uh, he, an, an ex-business guy who came out head, head teacher. So yeah. you've got to have that calling. Once you've got that, then you're already on the road to winning. So, but, but one of the right. things that I find that happens to a lot of people is they get so far, every new idea is hated, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty or it's going to be resisted because the status quo is very well funded. And what happens with a lot of people I mentor when I'm working with young businesses or, or, or employees or whatever, is you've got this new idea. And you go, fantastic, I've got this new idea, I've got this new thing, it's going to change the world. I'm really, I'm, I'm so up for it, right? So you walk into a room of people you've got to convince. This might be 10 investors, 10 people on the board of directors, 10 colleagues or whatever. You know. And you go, hey guys, I've got this wonderful new idea. And they go, well, really? Oh no. I'm not interested. By the way, I'm busy. By the way, it's not your job to think about that. We employ you to do that thing over there, so you should just do that. Yeah. And uh, there's a reason we do it the way we do it. So uh, can you just, yeah, shut up. Um, and you're sitting there and you think, wow, that's, that's, that's tough. 
And, uh, but one person out of that 10 came around, and this is the mad person, right? This is the person you go drinking with. So they were going to come around. And now I sat in the bar with this second person, and, I, and they're going, I don't understand why they didn't go for it. And then you realize why. You have this revelation. You go, I know why. I didn't sell it well enough. Yeah. It's my fault. I didn't have the, the chops, the, 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 the elevator pitch, whatever it was to capture their imagination. That's not a problem. I can fix that. I just got to work on my pitch. Okay, so what you do, you go back into that room. There's now nine people who don't want to listen to you. You do a new pitch, and they all go, so like, no, we heard you the first time. One more person comes around. Now you're sat in that bar with two people. You still, you still think it's a presentational issue. You still think, I've just got to light that fire in their belly. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and you go, and you, and you realize what, the, what you really need to do is move from PowerPoint to Keynote and change the font. And <laughs> Everything. That'll change everything. <laughs> and you walk in and uh, out of the eight people there, seven of them chose to get lost. So now you have three people on your side. This is where everybody gives up. This is where everybody gives up all the time. I used to give up here all the time mm -hmm. because by now you've been pushing your new idea, your business, whatever, blah, blah, for maybe a year, 18 months, two years. 70% of the people that you like and trust, 70% of your potential market, 70% of your friends, 70% of your family are telling you it's not working. And you're thinking, I'm running out of cash. I'm running out of uh, um, motivation. I'm, you know, uh, and actually if all these people that I like and trust are telling me, you know, from my professional group, from my, from my industry that it's not working, then maybe they're right. And I can drop this idea with a, uh, uh, with a, with a clear conscience because I gave it my best shot and that, that's okay. And, and, and I've got to do something else because clearly this isn't that is when I say to that's what I said to my clients. That's not the time to give up. Right. That is just a score, and all it says is round three. Yes. And you have to keep going to round five. If and not then, more. And, well, when you get to round five, you're winning more often than you're losing, and things start to move very quickly. But you have <laughs> to get yourself to round five. And so here's the thing I said. I said, this is the thing you have to understand. You have to be prepared to lose more often than you win until halfway through the game. Otherwise, you will achieve nothing. Yeah. And when you apply that rule, guess what? You keep going. And you know, the other thing I say is, when 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 my clients are sitting there going, "I'm just I'm at the absolute end of my tether. The money is running out. It's all going very hard. I don't know what to do. I'm thinking quitting this thing." I go, "Guess what? That's when all your competitors are quitting. Mm -hmm. This is where the field thins. This is what makes you an entrepreneur. Not the dream of the money, but it's how you handle." getting nowhere or getting getting somewhere very 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 soon yes yes that's yeah. one of the things i do but the, the other thing that i think all entrepreneurs should, should do and everybody should do is smash themselves into as many new ideas as possible it's very easy to get stuck in a particular rut or a particular culture i mean you know silicon valley has all sorts of problems with its culture there's, a, there's an entrepreneurial startup culture which is pretty toxic as well yeah yeah out there and see as many new ideas as possible so, I mean, steve jobs said Creative people feel guilty because they didn't really do anything. And what he means is that they spent so long wandering around the world looking at all sorts of different things that eventually idea A and idea B were natural together because they'd seen idea A and idea B. Whereas right. most people, I say, gone into the same rooms, spoke to the same 10 people about the same 10 problems for 10 years. And guess what? They're not very creative. So. Absolutely. Get outside your industry, get outside your world, look at all different things. And that's what happened. I mean, in the book, it's all about people who, who were kind of forced by necessity, by disaster or tragedy or, or just a yeah. human need to get at, to be it, to be an outsider. And, uh, uh, and when you are the outsider, you, you can see. 
and you have this kind of authority to kind of question things, which other people inside the system may, may be scared to do because mm -hmm. you know that's kind of challenge their job. Exactly. Yeah. Mark, where can people find you? Uh, well, uh, on, on, on the interweb, infowebulator. <laughs> uh, so I'm uh, at Optimist on tour, uh, mm -hmm. my uh, Twitter handle, and there's markstevenson.org, which is kind of the website that linked off with the books and other bits and bobs I'm doing. Um, Perfect. We'll have those in the show notes for today down below, people. Uh, would you like to join me for the after show? I would love to. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for joining me on this show. Okay, viewers, if you'd like to join Mark and me, we're going over to twoquestions.tv. That's where you'll find the after show. It's the only place you can't find it anywhere else. So we're going to go over there. We'll see you over there. In the meantime, here's the book. Wonderfully inspiring book. Definitely make sure you get your copy. We're going to have links to Amazon so you can get your copy down below in the show notes. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. This has been twoquestions.tv. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, learn more about the show, the guests, and our host, Susan Barancini Mo, visit us at www.twoquestions.tv.